Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now here are your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today, our guest is tax advisor Russell Fox, who is making his semi-annual visit to us with answering tax questions from our listeners. Russell Fox, welcome back to Gambling with an Edge. Good morning. Good morning. Er. Um, form 1099-K, uh, you'll receive for uh, an amount over $600 in certain situations. Uh, they talk about getting the form from PayPal or Venmo. Would a sports book also report that? Well, sports books won't, but the income absolutely could be duplicative. Plus, there are a lot of issues with 1099Ks. Uh, let me give you an example. I'm going through an audit on this right now. Um, I had a client move a bunch of money to and from a DFS site using PayPal, completely legal. He moved, let's call it $200,000. He also received a 1099 miscellaneous from the DFS site for $100,000. The IRS is auditing my client, alleging he has $200,000 of unreported income. He doesn't, of course. It's just movement of money. And eventually, he's going to be fined. We've sent the records to the IRS and now my client has good records, so this will eventually work out. But audits cost money, my time, you know, and they're stressful. Unfortunately, the tax professional community expects a ton of erroneous 1099Ks to be issued early next year. They're going to range from Ralph holding a garage sale and having $1,000 of payments coming in, which really aren't going to be taxable because he probably bought the stuff he sold for more than $1,000, to issues like what my client faced. It's a certainty in another year, that is in 2024, there are going to be a ton of automated underreporting unit notices sent out on 1099Ks. Additionally, the tax professional community has asked for guidance on this issue, and we've received the simple answer, if you think the 1099K is wrong, complain to the issuer. Well, good luck. I have my doubts. So we're expecting duplicative income, income that isn't like movement of money being reported. In fact, we're expecting a ton of issues and we have little guidance. This is a year that if you get a 1099K, talk to your tax professional early about it. There are ways of hopefully eliminating this from being a problem, but there are going to be a lot of problems with this. Now, do we also have a a responsibility to file a 1099k if for example bob says hey uh can you can you uh loan me a thousand dollars i need cash and i say sure and i give it to him 
uh, am I supposed to file a 1099K just for transferring no. him money? No, a 1099K is used for um, a third-party payment processor. Uh, credit card companies, PayPal, Venmo, not you. Okay. So since you don't have to file a 1099K, Richard, I need $1,000. Can I? Never mind. Let's go on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so a listener sent us the following, and he would like Russell to comment on it. He says, so I don't have a question as such and would like to ask that you get more clarification uh, from Mr. Fox next time he's on the show uh, regarding uh, United Kingdom listeners and withholding taxes for gambling win win winnings. After 20 or so Vegas visits and many hand pace, I have some experience in this and have learned some lessons along the way. In the last episode, when Russell Fox was talking about WSOP winnings, he said UK gamblers pay no tax. Whilst I know this to be true, it is not quite as simple as that. And for any UK listener that may not have visited or gambled in the United States, it would be good to go armed with either knowledge or better still an ITIN, which is an individual taxpayer identification number issued to non-residents and goes in place of a social security number on the tax form. A UK gambler is subject to the same 30% withholding as a US player on wins of $12,000 or above. You can claim tax treaty benefits, but in order to do so, we require one of two things, either an ITIN or a withholding agent who can notarize ID and file, I think it's form W7. The W7 generates the ITIN and the withholding agent only needs to make the application for an ITN in order to pay you in full. From experience, I can say with confidence that Bally's in Paris have the required IRS trained staff to facilitate this and they will file all the forms, W7, W8, Ben, and issue a 10 42 was zero withholding. Two to three months later, an ITIN will arrive in the form of an IRS letter to your house. Harris, however, does not have the staff trained, and they will withhold regardless of which country you come from. Once you have the ITIN, you should carry this around with you, with your ID, and if you hit a hand pay, uh, show it along with your ID, and you'll be paid in full regardless of where you're playing. I've had jackpots all over town, including the airport, and remember vividly the conversation with the slot attendant and being told it takes a while to pay, so they have to go through a lot of paperwork. When the attendant who does the paying arrives, I hand him my ID along with my ITN, and the attendant says, ah, that's amazing. You just slashed the amount of paperwork I have to do, and five minutes later, I'm paid in full. So, Russell Fox, is the information presented by this listener accurate mostly um there are two issues one uh, you said it's twelve thousand dollars for the 30 percent withholding unfortunately it's 1200 and that is only on non-americans if you're an american and have id and you go and hit a slot jackpot and get 1500 you're going to get it all as long as you show your id 
Um, there are a couple other things. First, this summer at the World Series of Poker, there were numerous reports of individuals from tax treaty countries such as the UK having withholding even though they had the requisite ID. In other words, the staff at Bally's Paris was not issuing ITINs, not completing the Form W7s. So I don't know who to believe here, but obviously it's better if you have your ITIN. The problem is today you generally cannot obtain an ITIN in advance. The IRS doesn't want to do that. You have to have a reason, and that is hitting the jackpot. So something you can do is, if you're planning on coming to the U.S., check with the casinos you're going to gamble at and see, do they issue ITINs? And you can call the cashier department at every casino and find out, and they'll tell you. And the listener did indeed say uh, 1200 If um, if the 12000 was the slip of the tongue by one of your co-hosts today. Next question. Two sports bettors partner up to take advantage of sign-up bonuses. Let's say one loses 2500 and the other one um, wins 4500 How is this data transmitted to the IRS so that each gets taxed for the $1,000 average profit? Well, if two individuals are running a business together or doing something together, they have a partnership. They need to file a Form 1065, a partnership return of income. That notifies the IRS that the two individuals have a partnership. They probably also need to send a 1099. This would be from the winner who won $4,500 to the partnership. So there's a paper trail of the income. The partnership, in turn, will issue each partner a Schedule K-1, noting that they each won $1,000. Uh-huh. Good. Next one I think is going to be a short answer. I've been gambling as a hobby for almost 10 years now. My all-time results are $35,000 loss. However, I've had some winning years. Let's say I make a few thousand dollars this year gambling. Can I carry over my gambling losses from previous years so that I have to pay no taxes on this year's? My understanding is that I can do this with stock investing, for example, but I can't do it for gambling. So is that understanding correct? Absolutely. You got it perfect. Uh, Internal Revenue Code Section 165D, that's law passed by Congress specifically allows gambling losses up to the amount of winnings for each tax year, but losses in excess are not allowed, and it just is what it is. Um, Deductions are a matter of legislative grace, and until Congress changes the law, gambling is not treated well under the tax code. Next question. I use a low... A very low-risk strategy to take advantage of online sports sign-up bonuses. I bet on opposite size, losing the VIG, and then use the promo bonus to make me whole. I'm wondering how recording this on a session basis works. Okay. Well, let's, if two bets are related, they're clearly part of a single transaction, a single session. 
let's say there's a basketball game of Indiana versus Utah, and you take both sides deliberately as this individual is doing to earn the bonus, it's clear the two actions can be netted together. So you're going to lose the VIG. However, there are no court cases on the definition of a session for sports betting. The dictionary defines a session as something with a discrete beginning and end. So it's possible courts could look at each bet as a session or a day's betting. But I can tell you now a week is not going to pass the smell test. Just it's not. It, those bets are not related. Now, also, a wait, professional wait, wait, wait. gambler. What, what did you say? The week? A week. A week is too long for it to be a session for sports betting. So if you make a bet on Monday for next Sunday's games, it cannot be a session? No. What I'm saying is the bets on Mondays could be related, but not Monday and Friday's bets unless they're on the exact same thing. You're betting the football game this weekend between the 49ers and the Rams, and you place a bet on Monday, then you place another bet on Thursday on the same game, and you place another bet on Friday. Those bets are related. But on Monday, you bet the 49er game. On Thursday, you bet Jacksonville. And on Friday, you bet the Saints. Those aren't related. Those aren't part of the same session. Got it. Okay, so please continue. Okay, the main issue is going to be how courts interpret sessions for sports betting. Sports betting's popularity just ballooned in the last two years, and there are no cases on this, none. And so until courts rules, and until we see more actions and audits from the IRS on this issue, we're somewhat groping in the dark, but the longer you define a session to be, the less likely it is to be upheld. I I, I kind of don't get the, the deal here anyway, because presumably when you're betting both sides of a game, you're doing it at two different books. So if dra- they have a win at DraftKings and a loss at uh, MGM, I mean, to me, they look like two separate events already anyway, and then the bonus comes into it. So, I mean, if it were me, I would just record every bet as as a well, bet. Well, you, you, know? you inflate your AGI when you do that. That's the problem. Um, there are also some states that don't allow gambling losses. There's a question we're going to get into about bad states for gamblers, and that'll come up. But one of the things is you want your AGI to be as low as possible. There are a lot of good points about if, when you can, to net betting together, which is generally not allowed. But for example, if you go into a casino and you start your betting right now, let's say we walk in right now, a pull on a slot machine is not a session, okay? But if you stay and you gamble for an hour, and then you leave, that hour is a session, and you can net everything together. And that's settled tax law, by the way. There's a case directly on point. Did that answer your question, Richard? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I get it. Yep. Okay. Next question. 
Let's say I'm using the identity of several family members to sign up for sportsbook apps to take advantage of promos and limits. Regardless of the legal gray area of doing that, would it be better for each family member to file gambling income individually according to how much their accounts won, or can I claim everyone's wins on my tax return? A fundamental principle of U.S. tax law is that everyone is supposed to report their income, no more, no less. If, say, Aunt May gambles for you and wins $500 that goes to you, that $500 needs to be on your return, not Aunt May's. I also want to point out that besides violating the terms and conditions of sites, some states specifically make having people bet for uh, betting for you a crime under their state's law. So you need to be a little bit careful in the sports betting world. You may be violating some state law doing what you're suggesting. But it actually goes back to one of the earlier questions. To me, it sounds like you have a partnership and you could just create a partnership agreement and then, uh, you know, as you described earlier, do it that way and you should be covered, right? This is not really a partnership because these people aren't really betting for themselves. It is not their income at all. It's like I hired you to go into a casino because there's a great promotion and play game X. And I'm going to pay you $100 to do that. And you're going to just whatever uh, is won goes to me. Whatever is lost, I'm responsible for. I'm just going to pay you $100 to sit there for an hour and play the game. You're not a partner. You're really more of an independent contractor. Here are just family members where... I tell them, hey, bet the 49ers this week. Here's $500. I'm not allowed to, but you can, or you can help me by doing this so I can place more money on it. Okay. Next question. If you have an EIN, presumably as a professional gambler, can you give that number instead of your social security number to a casino for W2G purposes? Very short answer, no. Uh-huh. Can't get much shorter than that. That's two letters. We'll see if we can find out a one-letter answer soon. But By, and by the way, I just want to add, um, you know, we've had a guest on the show who tried doing this as a table games player uh, as a way of hiding his identity, and he, they charged him with all kinds of crimes. I mean, ridiculous things, but, you know, that, that's what can happen in those kind of situations when you mess with that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, next question. Some online casinos, in particular BetMGM, issue W2Gs for online table games play while most others don't. Does Russell have a view on which approach is correct? Well, uh, first thing is, there is a court of appeals case, it's a Park v. Commissioner, that allows session accounting. So let's say in a session you receive 30,000 of W2Gs, but your overall result is plus 30. You can report the plus 30. 
I'm going to send the link so that this can be added to the notes for this broadcast because it's a nice long, about 38 character link, so it's a little hard to do. The decision's called Park v. Commissioner. It's written by one Judge Kavanaugh, the one who is sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court now. And I'm going to read you a little quote. Are gamblers required to pay taxes on every winning bet? For example, every winning pull of a slot machine. Or can they report the overall income, gains minus losses, from a session of gambling? The IRS allows U.S. citizens to subtract losses from their wins within a gambling session to arrive at per-session wins or losses. As for the bet MGM method, I don't like it. But each casino's attorneys have interpreted the laws and regulations they're under and decided what to do. You always have the option of not gambling at bet MGM and going to a different casino. Of course, if you're a professional gambler, it's also irrelevant. You pay tax on your net winnings, so it doesn't matter if you get 30,000 W2Gs, 30 million of W2Gs, or, or 3,000. Your tax is going to be based on your overall net income. Well, it does affect your AGI, doesn't it? Not if you're a professional gambler, because it all nets onto a Schedule C, and you report one number that flows to your Form 1040, the net income of your business. Okay. Those amateur gamblers who live in bad states for gambling taxes, that would be states that don't allow writing off losses against win, are subject to significant state tax bills on phantom gambling income, even when they're net losers for the year and therefore don't owe any federal tax on gambling. The question is, would the IRS allow this state tax to be written off as a gambling expense against federal gambling income? No. It's not an expense incurred in the production of income. Those are the only kinds of expenses that are allowed under the tax code. So you have to be in business, can't be an amateur, because if you're an amateur, you're not in business and you're not allowed business expenses. However, if you owe state income tax, there is a deduction available. It's an itemized deduction taken on Schedule A for taxes paid. You're allowed to deduct up to $10,000 a year of taxes, which includes state income tax or sales tax and property taxes. Next question, although it uses a term I'm not familiar with. It says, my question is for someone who bets on sports professionally and predominantly through PPH local bookies. I'm not sure what PPH is. PPH stands for paperhead. That means basically illegal offshore bookies. Okay. How does one record this in a way to pass, God forbid, an audit as we're constantly losing and gaining new books throughout the year? Well, the rules for gambling log were set in the mid-1970s and haven't been changed. And they state that you're supposed to note the date, what you're gambling on, the casino name, and I'll get more to that in a moment, the start time, end time, and results. Let's say you were betting Utah versus Indiana in basketball. You placed the bet today on today's game with Russ the Bookie. You would put today's date, the action, whatever it was, and that it was done with Russ the Bookie. 
Times aren't relevant for sports betting, so those would be ignored. And then you'd also note the result. The rules set by the IRS on this state that a contemporaneous written log is to be believed. A couple things. You notice contemporaneous written log. Most people who are doing sports betting use Excel or a spreadsheet. So to make sure your log will meet the standards of computer records, make sure you email it to yourself or otherwise be able to identify dates or date it monthly because the IRS believes all computer records are generated the night before an audit. So, and there surely they're, they're totally incorrect about that. I know. Auditors also don't like self-prepared logs. So I've had issues where Ralph, the poker player, has a complete and accurate log, and auditors tell me, why aren't there casino records? Of course, in poker, the answer is the casino doesn't care who wins or losses, or loses, excuse me, they get a fee for running the game. I've had auditors disallow gambling logs, allegedly non-contemporaneous. They're self-prepared. I've won almost all of these cases I've lost at the audit level in appeals, where you tend to get IRS employees who actually read the regulations on this. But everyone involved needs to know this is an issue. There is no magical solution. And the more records you have with this, the better. And so mailing yourself your log monthly, emailing yourself the log monthly, would go a long way towards... But how does that work, right? If I mail my log to myself every month and then I, how do they know, you know, if I print it out, it's just a piece of paper with records on it. Do I have to show them my email account and say, see, here's the, how does that work? You you can generate through an email and you can print it to show that, you know, here's the attachment and then you print the attachment. Um. One of the problems with dealing with the IRS, and sometimes it's hilarious and sometimes it's really stupid, most IRS offices will only take paper. So, for example, I can't send them a CD. I cannot send them attachments. I have to basically print paper, mail it to them, or fax it to them. To my about five, uh, well, two feet from me is a fax machine that I use basically to send things to the IRS. That's its primary purpose. Um, it's a big issue, but I have had this issue come up in audits and I was able to basically print out the actual um, gambling logs and the emails and the auditor accepted them. Huh. Next question. I played a $24 pick five horse rage wager that won, paid $7,205. I know that the horse racing tax laws were changed so that you get a W2G for wins that are 300 times the amount of your wager. But is the initial $24 that I wager included in that 300 times calculation? If, if it is, I either won 299 times or 300 times, depending on the answer. So should I expect to receive a W2G? 
The answer is going to end up to be no, but it's a little more complex than you might realize. The IRS instructions say take the wager, multiply by 300. If the gross winnings are more than that, in his case they are, by $5, you get a W2G. However, the payer, here the casino or racetrack, has the option of reducing the win by the amount of the wager. Because it costs the casino money to issue a W2G, everybody reduces it by the amount of the wager. So it will be, it's effectively 301 times the wager to get a W2G. In his case, he's probably not getting one. Now in slots though, um... slots have a different rule. In slots, he's going to get one. If this was a slot action, first of all, it's $1,200. The amount of the wager is irrelevant. That is specifically written into the regulations on this. Uh-huh. All right, next question. I received a W-2G at my local casino and provided my driver's license and social security card. A few weeks later, I received another W-2G, and because they recognized me, I only had to provide my driver's license. When I returned home, I realized they had reversed two of the digits on my social security number on the new W-2G, and had also done so on the first one. If I do not go back and correct the error, will the IRS be able to match these to my account? Possibly. Okay, there are a few issues here. First, the casino is likely to get what is called a B, as in boy, notice from the IRS in about a year. And they can pull your original paperwork, you probably completed a W-9, and issue corrected W-2Gs to the IRS. You're still required to report all your income, even if you don't get paperwork. That's the law. But the easy solution is, I recommend the next time you're there, you correct this. The casino will be happy that you do this. And you may even be able to do this on the phone. Just call them and ask for the cashier or casino cage or accounting department. One of those will probably be able to fix this on the phone. It's to your benefit to fix this. Okay, the next question we may have already answered, but it might be a little bit different. We annually make three to four trips, four to five days each, to play video poker in Las Vegas. We play video poker at several different Las Vegas casinos for five or six hours a day. We occasionally receive W2Gs. We keep daily logs of each casino visited, cash in, cash out. Is there a position to treat each trip as a session for income tax purposes. This would mean that any W-2Gs issued during each trip would be offset by cash losses up to the amount of the W-2Gs. No, your entire trip isn't a session, but your play in each casino, when you would walk in and walk out, clearly is a session. So if you played in three casinos that day, you had three sessions? Almost certainly, yes. All right. So almost certainly we thank you for that. All right. Next question. I'm a UK-based AP playing mainly progressive jackpots and lotteries around Europe and was wondering about the tax implications of playing in the United States. I have been issued an ITIN in the past for poker tournaments in the United States and I'm aware of the UK-US tax treaty. 
are all slot jackpots of any size applicable for the exemption. If I want a seven-figure jackpot, am I right in believing that there are no tax applicable? Is the same also true for lotteries? If I won, for example, the Oregon State lotteries for $8 million, would I be exempt from both federal and state taxes? For federal tax, absolutely. Do note, you'll still receive paperwork. You'll get a Form 1042-S, but you're not going to owe a penny in federal tax. However, most tax treaty items exempt tax from just federal income tax, not state income tax. The United States has a dual system of taxation, both federal and states. Some states base their tax on your, your federal tax, effectively allowing tax treaty items. Most states do not. Adding two more levels of complexity, some states don't tax certain kinds of income and other states, such as Nevada, don't have a state income tax. Additionally, there's gambling on Indian reservations. Indian reservations, in most cases, don't withhold state income taxes, but that is going to change over time. More and more of the compacts between Indian reservations and states are going to mandate withholding. As far as the specific example of the Oregon State Lottery, you're going to have 8% withheld for Oregon tax, and you're not going to be able to get that back. So instead of a full $8 million, you'll only get 7 point something million. Life is terrible. Okay. Next question. I'm considering relocating to Nevada. I'm a newbie to regulated sports book and having trouble understanding the tax ramifications for Nevada. Some Google results show sports betting winnings of over 600, or if the amount is 300 times the original bet, are subject to a 24% withholding rate tax. Others say winnings over 1,200 are subject to a 30% withholding tax. Games in which winnings are considered taxable income by the IRS include slots, gambling, poker, paramutual, or sports betting. I'm guessing one is gross and the other is net, but both say winnings. If I risk $770 at minus $110, it pays $1,470,700 in winnings. Or, yeah, and 770 is a return of the amount I originally bet. Will I be receiving a W2G to pay tax on on that $700 profit in Nevada? Okay. The quotes he has are basically for non-Americans on withholding or Americans uh, issuing W2Gs. So, for example, if I go in a casino and have a sports betting bet where I win 500 times the original bet and I refuse to show my ID, 24% will be withheld. As far as W2Gs for sports betting, they're basically rarely issued. You have to do some sort of prop betting because it's 300 times the amount of the wager, effectively 301 as we discussed earlier. So it's basically like, will the first play of the Super Bowl be a safety? Or, you know, some 
arcane receiver that you have never thought of is going to have over 300 yards receiving in the Super Bowl. Things like that are where W2Gs are generally issued. I do need to point out one other thing. You owe tax on your worldwide income as an American, regardless of paperwork. If you have sports betting winnings of 700, you need to put that $700 on your tax return, period. All right. We have lots more questions for Russell Fox. Uh, we are now going to take a brief commercial break. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The South Point has more than 10,000 games returning at least 99%. This is more such games than anyone else has. The December promotion is half price almost everything using your points between the end of the National Finals Rodeo, December 12th, and Christmas Eve, December 24th, if you use your slot club points. This includes such things as rooms, meals, gift shop, movies, bowling, New Year's Eve tickets, etc. The points can be saved. They can be earned at whatever time, but as long as you have them, you may use them on a uh, basically two-for-one basis during this interval. If you're serious about card counting, the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership is a great way to learn, train, network, and get the resources you need to succeed. We have had quite a few guests on Gambling with an Edge who exclusively trained and got their start through Blackjack Apprenticeship. Check out the website at blackjackapprenticeship.com. They have member forums, training software, and guides to help you learn. So that's blackjackapprenticeship.com, and you will find a link in the show notes. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. Uh, game of the week is Wheel Poker. The reason I selected this game of the week is my current blog for last week and this week is about an adventure in Wheel Poker that happened 20 years ago at Railroad Pass. Now, this is a six-coin-per-line game where you get to spin a wheel where you end up, whenever you end up with a four-of-a-kind, the average wheel spin is worth about 420 coins. The first, the correct strategy isn't hard to work out. If you were playing a game where the quads were worth 250, 400, and 800, you add 420 to each of these and now get 670, 820, and 1220. And then you work out the strategy. The hands that um, change in value aren't that many. Uh, you check out low pairs versus four card straights, two pair versus a full house, and whether it's smart to keep kickers with three of a kinds. There are a few other hands to look at, but not many. If you're interested in getting an edge at sports betting, then unabated.com is a great resource for you. Founded by frequent gambling with an edge guests, Captain Jack and Rufus Peabody, Unabated is designed for both new and experienced sports bettors. 
Their real-time odd screen tools and calculators take a lot of the guesswork out of trying to quantify your edge. There's also plenty of free education and instruction to help you along your journey to becoming a sharper sports better. You can currently take advantage of a seven-day free trial to decide if premium membership at unabated.com is right for you. All right. We are back talking with tax expert Russell Fox. How are outstanding future wagers handled for tax purposes? If I netted $100,000 winnings this year, but on the last day of the year, bet $100,000 on some event that will resolve in 2023, do I owe taxes on that $100,000 for 2022? Could I do that every year and avoid taxes in perpetuity? It's a wonderful, great scheme that unfortunately does not work. Um, Futures bets resolved in 2023 are taxed in 2023. In this scenario, the individual notes he has 100,000 of income in 2022 that is absolutely subject to taxation in 2022. Russell, that is such a terrible answer, but okay. I know. (laughs) Next question. My wife and I are filing as professional gamblers for the first time this year. We have good records on all our wins and losses, but don't have his or her records as they're all combined into one file. Is this a problem that our records are combined? We file taxes jointly. Well, the answer is, like a lot of things in tax, it depends. But here, the first question is, do you reside in a community property state? Uh, The community property states are California, Nevada, Arizona, Washington, Texas, Louisiana, Wisconsin, Idaho, and New Mexico. If you're in a community property state, you can have a joint business on your personal tax return, Form 1040. You'd end up with two Schedule Cs with half of the income on each Schedule C and half the expenses on each. If you're not in a community property state, you need to file a partnership return of income, Form 1065, where the overall income and expenses are noted. And I should point out these are noted as other income and other expenses. And the partnership will generate a Schedule K-1 for the two partners, here the husband and wife, that will be used to report information on your personal return that will then flow into two Schedule Cs just like the case for a community property state. And this is the way the IRS says it must be done. Wow. More work for tax professionals. Yeah. Say a casino is offering a promotion, offering to double all jackpots. So you grab any friend who can walk and a family member you can and hit the high limit slots none of the people you bring are professionals so you want to handle all the taxes if you use form 5754 do you need to present that to the casino upon anyone incurring a jackpot or is it something that you can just issue to the cohorts you bring when they do their taxes If it's something you need to give to the casino, is there any way other than any other way of handling the taxes where you don't alert the casino to the fact that you're handling all the taxes? 
but also remove any taxable liability from the people working for you. Form 5754 is used at a casino. You hand it to the casino. So the first thing is it's got to be done. You hand the form 5754 to the casino and it's done by the person who has hit the jackpot. Additionally, some casinos do not accept the form. Uh, the Caesars casinos are known for this. Um, and if you don't want the casino to know, then you're not going to use the form 5754. And there is a way around that, and that is the individuals have to issue 1099s to you. In other words, Aunt May goes into the casino, gambles for you, hits that jackpot of $30,000. She gets the W2G. She hands you 30000 and a 1099, noting that you won the 30000 not her. Additionally, under the tax code, everyone is responsible for paying tax on their own income. So if that money goes to you, you have to pay it, the tax on it, not Aunt May. But if Aunt May does indeed issue that 1099 to you for 30000 along with the money, then she is absolved from owing any taxes on this. She's absolved, but she could have some issues, unfortunately. There's going to be a W-2G out to her. And we, IRS is going to think there should be 30000 of gambling income on her return. There won't be. There is a solution, which is you put the 30000 in, subtract it out, and attach a statement, and you pray that... Aunt May is in the 50% of people where the IRS looks at the statement before sending a notice. If she isn't, then you have to be able to prove the money went to the other person. Aunt May probably wants to pay by check, wire transfer, or get a receipt. Um, is uh, this Should you pray specifically to St. Jude, or is there any specific one you should pray to for to help your chances here? Just pray you're in the good 50%. Praying to the IRS these days is an exercise at times in futility. All right. Now, are there any U.S. states with tax laws that are especially good or bad for gamblers, either as residences or as places to set up new companies? Let's start with the bad states. And the first ones are the states that do not allow gambling losses for amateur gamblers. And those states are Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, North Carolina, Ohio. And Ohio is doubly bad because you can't deduct gambling losses on their city income tax returns. Rhode Island, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Additionally, Minnesota is a bad state for amateurs because of how its alternative minimum tax works. New York's a bad state because if your adjusted gross income is more than $100,000, you start losing gambling losses as an itemized deduction. At $500,000, you lose 50%. Mississippi is a bad state because it has a gross receipts tax on W2G cashes and the state only allows Mississippi gambling losses. Massachusetts used to allow no gambling losses, but at least now allows Massachusetts gambling losses. For professional gamblers, Hawaii is a bad state 
because of its general excise and use tax. And that tax, which I think is 4%, is applicable to professional gamblers, and it's a gross receipts tax. Michigan used to be a bad state, but it now allows gambling losses. So Michigan is no longer a bad state. Good states. These are states without a state income tax, such as Nevada, Florida, Tennessee, uh, Wyoming, Alaska, um, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a good state, except if you're in professional gambler, New Hampshire does have a business tax. Texas, At, they have no state income tax, right? New Hampshire has no state income tax, but it has a business tax. No, so I said if Texas. you're a professional gambler, it impacts you. Uh, Texas, Finally, I'm saying. Yeah, Texas is another state without a state income tax. I always forget Texas, and I shouldn't have. Um, as far as forming a business, in general, bad states are ones with high rates, complexity, and lousy regulations. The Tax Foundation annual survey of the 50 states rates the bottom 10 from worst on 50 to 41 as New Jersey, New York, California, Connecticut, Maryland, Minnesota, Vermont, Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Alabama. All right. So, um, sounds like I should stay living in Nevada. Next question. Has Russell Fox encountered any businesses that present gambling wins and losses as part of a diversified portfolio of investments on their tax returns? In other words, the firm allocates a certain amount of capital to gambling, such as staking a pro, and the rest to other activities. Unfortunately, alchemy went out in the Middle Ages, and it's not allowed in the tax code. And a fundamental principle of U.S. tax law is that the type of income remains the same when it moves from person to person. So gambling income is always gambling income. That includes staking. So basically, we don't see this because it's not allowed. All right. Uh, the last question we have is from somebody. It was a convoluted question, and I'm going to simplify it. I hope I get it right. Uh, gets a big W-2G, doesn't want to have a big tax bill on April 15th, so he wants the casino to take out 30% now so he doesn't have a problem later. He wants to know if most, is this legal to ask and will most casinos comply? Yes and yes. It is absolutely allowed. Most casinos do comply if you ask them to withhold. I mean, casinos obviously are large businesses. They send plenty of money to the IRS uh, for various withholding, and they are supposed to comply. And by the way, you can do this for state taxes too and voluntarily have state tax withheld. And I have clients who do this. So this absolutely can be done. Very good. At the end of our show, we normally have recommended, and today is a normal day. So, Richard, do you have anything recommended to tell our listeners? Uh, yeah, my recommended uh, this week is 
a guy I follow on Instagram and I believe he's on Twitter as well. And his name is James Fridman, F-R-I-D-M-A-N. And uh, this guy is a uh, photographer, Photoshop expert. And people send him photographs that they would like him to fix, right? And uh, the results are hilarious because he doesn't fix them in the way that people think he's going to fix them. And it's very hard to describe, but if you just look at some of the photographs, uh, I I promise you, you will get a good laugh. So... Uh, and we'll have a link in the show notes. I have seen his work. His work. They are hilarious, and um, and you will definitely laugh. All right, my recommended is Pro Health Longevity NMN Pro Complete. Ha ha. Regular listeners probably have noticed that I've recommended a number of books about longevity in the past several months. Two of the supplements I've taken since the start of my trying to get healthy um, program are transriveritol and NMN, which is a shorthand name for the nicotinamide mononucleotide. Typically, these are taken first thing in the morning with a bit of fat to help absorption. After trying several brands and versions of these products, I now believe that Pro Health Longevity NMN Pro Complete is the most convenient way to consume it. One two and a half gram scoop includes one gram of each of the above two, along with a half a gram of TMG, which stands for trimethylglycine. Each of these is microionized, which means they're powdered form, easy to absorb. Uh, they come in a container that is easily transported while traveling. You can put it in water. I actually put it under my tongue and let it dissolve. I take this with about an ounce of whole fat unflavored kefir, which is a drink with probiotics similar to yogurt. One of the longevity experts, all of the longevity experts recommend staying away from sweeteners of any sort. And most of them also recommend staying away from low fat products as they're not absorbed as well. I can tell you that combined with other things I've been doing, I've lost a lot of weight and have considerably more energy and mental alertness. I used to have mild COPD. That's disappeared. I'm coming to the conclusion that a lot of our medical problems, such as COPD, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and even cancer to some degree, are voluntary diseases, meaning that shifting your diet can eliminate most of them, or at least greatly reduce the chances of getting them. My goal is to live many, many more predictive years as I'm still a youngster of 75. And I believe the diet exercise and products such as NMN Pro Complete will help me reach that goal. Now, a little more than a month ago, the FDA moved to ban NMN as a dietary supplement, claiming it deserves status as a prescription drug. As of today, it is not told manufacturers to stop selling the product, so you can still get it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I ordered a year supply, year supply, uh, year supply of the NMN Pro Complete so that I don't get caught short. It stores well, and the manufacturer says it has a shelf life of more than two years. If it does become a prescription drug, uh, when it's time to get more, I will have 
one and a half years of experience with it and one and a half years of blood tests with it. So my doctor should have no problem prescribing more for me. I may not be higher priced. I'm not optimistic about my insurance covering it, but it should be available. Uh, Russell Fox, do you have a recommended for our listeners? Yeah, I have been trying to read a little bit about history recently, and I read an excellent book. It's a little bit off the beaten path. It's called Blood and Iron, The Rise and Fall of the German Empire, 1871 to 1918 by Katja Hoyer. Um, It's a very good book if you want to learn about how Germany formed, because Germany in the mid-1800s was about 40 different states and became a unified nation only in 1871. It's a very interesting book. Um, If you're at all interested in history, I heartily recommend it. Very good. All right, Russell Fox, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, We all have tax issues to deal with, and you are a good source of solid information. So thank you again. Very welcome. Richard, thank you. And go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.